Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from John Kehoe, an inmate at the Michigan Department of Corrections, Muskegon Correctional Facility. From a 7 by 10 foot cell of a Michigan prison, I am John Ortiz Kehoe. And welcome to Creating a Cannibal. Creating a Cannibal is a podcast dedicated to exposing the truth behind the wrongful conviction that left me labeled as a monster and sent me to die in prison. Now, for the first time, you are about to hear the true story of what happened inside and outside of the courtroom. I'll reveal the names of witnesses who took the stand and tell you what they said. You'll find out who was actually involved and learn about the role they played in framing me for a crime I didn't commit. For 20 years, I was silenced by the concrete walls and razor wire that surrounds me. And for 20 years, the media ran with the one-sided version of this case, a version that is full of distorted evidence and outright lies. They gave you sensational headlines, but me, I'm giving you the truth. Going into the final day of my trial, I felt confident the jury could see that the case against me was a complete sham. In his closing argument, my attorney cautioned the jury on being distracted by the clamor of suspicious testimony from untrustworthy witnesses who were either coerced or bribed by the police or the prosecutor. He also emphasized that the entire case boiled down to the credibility of Bill Brown's story. So I had a speck of hope that if those 12 jurors correctly followed Judge Miller's jury instructions, there was no way they could find me guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But in a criminal trial, an unfair advantage is always given to the prosecution because the prosecution is allowed to leave the jury with their final impression of the case. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey would use his advantage to purposely plant a distorted view of the evidence in the mind of every juror before they gathered in seclusion to decide my fate. This is Creating a Cannibal, Episode 13, Case Closed. Contrary to how a criminal trial is portrayed on television or in the movies, it is the prosecutor not the defense attorney who is always allowed to leave the jury with the trial's final impression. On the last day of John's trial, Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey delivered his closing argument to the jury. The prosecutor gave a passionate plea full of half-truths and outright lies. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey was counting on the jury's inability to remember the exact testimony of witnesses who testified weeks earlier. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey Kelsey told the jury, Bill Brown had solved the case, and every piece of evidence that was discovered, corroborated Bill Brown's version of events. The prosecutor also reminded the jury, that while Bill Brown was turning himself in, and cooperating with the police, John Ortiz Kehoe was running off to Mexico. In the prosecutor's mind, the only person with a motive to kill Ms. Larner, was John Ortiz Kehoe. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey, told the jury that John was upset with Ms. Larner, because she was stalking him, upset because she damaged his brother's truck, and upset because she refused to have sex with Bill Brown, after she had agreed to do so. According to the prosecutor, it was for each of those reasons, John Ortiz Kehoe formulated a plan, and carried out his plan to kill Ms. Larner. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey insisted, he had proven the killing was premeditated, because Bill Brown testified, that John went to a Myers department store, and purchased the 
items used to carry out his plan. However, what Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey never revealed to the jury, or to the defense, was that two detectives visited the Myers department store, and discovered that the store did not sell a hatchet. Matching the description of the hatchet, Bill Brown claimed John bought. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey continued his final address, by telling the jury that the case was not a credibility contest between Bill Brown and John Ortiz Kehoe. According to the prosecutor, the case was a credibility contest between John Ortiz Kehoe and every other witness who testified. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey asked the jury, Where are the witnesses to back up what John Ortiz Kehoe said happened? He then told the jury, There are none. Obviously, attorney Jerome Savota botched the case by refusing to show witnesses who could corroborate John's testimony. However, by insinuating that attorney Jerome Savota was required to show witnesses to prove John's innocence, assistant prosecutor Kelsey illegally shifted the burden of proof onto the defense. The prosecutor also deceived the jury by saying there were no witnesses to support John's testimony because the prosecutor knowingly possessed numerous police reports backing John's version of events. Yet, because attorney Jerome Sabota refused to call the people named in the police reports as witnesses during John's trial, the jury never got to see the evidence supporting John's innocence. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey took advantage of attorney Jerome Sabota's ineptitude by lying to the jury about the existence of the evidence contained in the never-revealed police reports. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey then said that John was the one who lied when John testified that he went to McDonald's while Bill Brown was left alone with Ms. Larner. The prosecutor told the jury, We know John Ortiz Kehoe is lying because he told you that he went to McDonald's at 2 o'clock and talked to David Frost, who served him a hamburger, but that couldn't have happened because David Frost didn't work until 5 o'clock. The prosecutor also claimed that he knew John was lying because John did not have an explanation for why investigators found human bones in the sump pump of his grandparents' house. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey told the jury that the bones from the sump pump had been positively identified as being human bones by Dr. Norman Sauer. The prosecutor then went even further by claiming that the nation's leading expert on the microanatomy of bone, Dr. Sam Stout, also verified the sump pump bones as being human bones. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey must have known the jury would not be able to remember Dr. Norman Sauer's testimony, because when Dr. Norman Sauer testified, he stated that the sump pump bones could have come from any number of animals, and they were not as likely to be human. Dr. Norman Sauer also stated, that because he did not believe the sump pump bones were human bones, he never sent them to Dr. Sam Stout, to be examined. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey finished his closing argument, by saying that all of the facts, and all of the evidence presented throughout the trial, proved that John Ortiz Kehoe was guilty of murder, beyond a reasonable doubt, and after finding John guilty of murder, the jury could go home and sleep well at night, knowing they had done the right thing. And with the prosecution and the defense both finished delivering their closing arguments, the jury was left with their final task of deciding John's fate. The jury deliberated for a little more than one hour, before re-entering the courtroom. The Honorable Stephen B. Miller, called the court to order and asked for the jury's verdict. The jury's foreman stood and pronounced John Ortiz Kehoe guilty of first-degree premeditated murder. To this day, John's reaction to the verdict continues to be scrutinized by the public. Yet, the people who condemn John's reaction have no real knowledge of what transpired during John's trial. 
Thus, just as the jury prematurely based their opinion of John, on a fraudulent image crafted by the media before the trial began, people have now formed their opinion of who John is, based on a snapshot of edited television footage, used to sensationalize the story and distract the viewer from scrutinizing the true facts of the case. When John was arrested, he knew he was not the person who killed Rose Larner, yet, he was the person being charged for her murder. And from the day his trial started, John realized that he would never receive a fair trial, so when the jury's foreman pronounced John guilty, it was not a bombshell. The outcome of John's trial, was decided before the trial started. So yes, John laughed, at the dirty detectives, who coerced witnesses and filed phony police reports. John laughed, at the corrupt prosecutors, who suppressed exculpatory evidence, and blatantly lied about the true facts of the case. John laughed, at the ignorance of a jury, that never intended on giving him fair shot to prove his innocence. And John laughed, at the judge, who willing allowed the trial to be nothing more than a witch hunt. Filled with contempt, John laughed at the futility of fighting, and the perversity, of the entire charade. Because he knew, that his trial, was nothing more than a spectacle, put on for the public's consumption. John laughed, before turning, and telling his family and friends in the courtroom. They fucked me. One month after John was found to be guilty of murder, he was called before the Honorable Stephen B. Miller, for sentencing. Judge Miller said, his office was inundated with letters of support, from people who believed, that John was a good person who did not receive a fair trial. However, according to Judge Miller, the John Ortiz Kehoe who was revealed during the trial, was a far cry from the person those people claimed to know. Judge Miller then said, that John set a new low for human depravity, before sentencing him to life in prison, without the possibility of parole. Less than one week, after John was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison, Bill Brown was again arrested for assaulting his girlfriend. This time, he tied her hands and feet together, with an electrical cord. For his cooperation and testimony against John, Bill Brown received, a sentence of one year in prison. Eventually, ex-prosecutor Donald Martin, assistant prosecutor John Kelsey, retired detective Don Brooks, and Bill Brown, would all receive payments, to appear on forensic investigation programs and television talk shows. To this day, John Ortiz Kehoe maintains his innocence, fighting from behind bars, to reveal the truth, a truth that no jury, has had an opportunity to hear. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey's closing argument showcases talent as a lawyer who has been educated in the art of deception, and throughout the entire trial, his conduct revealed that his desire to win at all costs superseded his duty as a prosecutor to seek justice and uphold the Constitution. You've heard for yourself that Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey didn't care about using witnesses he knew were lying. He didn't care about breaking the law by withholding evidence that proved I was innocent. He also didn't care that I was the only one who was telling the truth, because when the evidence supported everything I told the jury, and he couldn't get around the true facts of this case, Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey made up his own facts about the evidence and lied about testimony the jury was unable to remember. So was I surprised by the verdict? Of course not. You saw my reaction. That was contempt, dressed up nice in a chuckle. A blind man could see that I was disgusted with the entire charade, especially knowing that a jury could be misled so easily. And these are the circumstances that led me to spend the past 20 years of my life in prison and will keep me confined in this case if I am unable to overturn my conviction. A true tale of how one man's lie snowballed into a wrongful conviction that was exploited by the media and ultimately created a cannibal. Thank you for listening and allowing me to give you a factual account of how I was convicted for a crime I did not commit. 
Much of the information I shared with you was suppressed by the justice system and unreported by the media. Therefore, no jury has been given the opportunity to weigh all of this evidence. So I continue to fight for a new trial, a fair trial, and I appreciate all of you who are riding with me. I would like to give special thanks to Amarillo Santos and Amaron Productions for working tirelessly on this podcast. Nothing I do would be possible without you, Alan. I thank my lifelong friend Amy for opening my eyes, giving me the love I needed when I needed it most, changed the destructive path I was on. And I thank my family and friends for sticking by my side and never giving up on me. And G, Rob, Luke, Sam, and Gustavo, good look for making sure I don't have to do dumb shit to get the fuck up out of this place. Because just like everything else in America, justice is weighed on a monetary scale. This has been Creating a Cannibal, an Amaron production. And oh yeah, it ain't over. Next time on Creating a Cannibal, the epilogue. Make sure you follow me on social media and check out my blog for a more in-depth look at how I was framed. Creating a Cannibal is a podcast produced under Emerone Productions. Gerardo G. Gonzalez Jr., Robert D. Tab, and Lucas Sampson are editorial advisors. Emerald Santos, our executive producer and the one who mixed our show. Our theme music are Ride the Mighty High, composed by John Ortiz Quijote himself and Nothing Doing, composed by Ari De Niro. Our website is creatingacannibal.wordpress.com. Special thanks to Mr. John Ortiz Quijote for sharing his side of story. Also visit John's blog website where you can see documents from the case. John Ortiz-Kiho.blogspot.com <laughs>